0: the Lord, for Thy great plan That we thy dwelling place may be
1: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called life study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoyed today's program. After the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the Lord continued for three more chapters to give item after item of regulations regarding man's relationships. These added items are called ordinances. Many, if not most, seem to us to have nothing whatsoever to do with us as New Testament believers. They deal with such things as treatment of slaves and the ancient feasts and rituals of Jewish religion, and even such things as not boiling the kid in its mother's milk. So how do we as Christians regard these Old Testament details? Do we just skip over and dismiss them? Or in the light of God's New Testament ministry, is there a real and meaningful application of these items for us? Francis Ball has joined us again. Francis, I think again today our listeners are going to be surprised at what's in store for us in this program.
2: Yes, I believe so. I'm looking forward to what's here because to see the relationship of these Old Testament accounts with our Christian life today is quite meaningful. Francis, we're continuing
1: today to look at Exodus chapter 22 and 23, chapters that, as we said, offer many items all contained in these ordinances that were supplements or additions to the basic Ten Commandments that we're all quite familiar with. In an earlier message, Francis, we heard that though we cannot directly see Christ in the Ten Original Commandments, these supplemental ordinances contain all of the rich details of Christ. What do we mean by this kind of speaking?
2: Well, Chris, uh, first of all, you mentioned that we are quite familiar with the Ten Basic Commandments But I would just like to repeat them in a brief way, lest someone may like to base their righteousness on the supposition that they keep the Ten Commandments and are thereby able to plead not guilty when faced with their need of a Savior. These commandments show us who God is and what He requires, but they do not reveal to us what God does. These, according to Exodus 20, are like this. First of all, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of Jehovah thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house or his wife or his servant, or his animals, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I wonder who could claim to be not guilty when such a demand is made from the holy God himself, revealing what he is in his nature, his holiness, his righteousness, and uh, really not supplying us, according to these Ten Commandments, with any way to carry them out. Now we know that whatever things the law says—this is a quote from Romans, actually— It speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may fall under the judgment of God. Because out of the works of the law no flesh shall be justified before him. For through the law is the clear knowledge of sin. That's from Romans chapter 3, and it really shows us that even if we think we're keeping the law, this does not justify us. And uh, we'll see in this message that the ordinances really open up a way for sinful man to come to a holy God by introducing a lot of aspects that are types of Christ and His redemptive work. So we have to say praise the Lord for the ordinances that are given in the Old Testament in addition to these Ten Commandments because these show us Christ as our Savior in His redeeming work, which is altogether according to his plan and his purpose, his economy. So just listen to what Witness Lee points out regarding this marvelous redemption of the ones who should have been killed with the firstborn in Egypt.
1: Francis, a wonderful introduction. We've had uh, 71 programs, counting today's, in the book of Exodus, and about 20 of those have dealt with this matter of the law. But I think this is the first time uh, that I remember that we had all 10 of them presented in one group like that and in your presentation. There were a lot of times in my heart when I had to say, guilty is charged, Mm -hmm. guilty is charged. I too. Let's join Witness Lee.
0: In all the ordinances, you can see Christ, and you can see Christ's redemption, and you can see this redemption is accomplished fully according to God's economy. You have Christ here, and you have the redemption here, and you have God's economy here. For us to enter such an economy, we need the gate. That is how to contact God. How to contact God for a fallen man. No other way. No other way but the unique way through the cross and by Christ. You just consider this one point. You have to bow down and worship the Lord. Marvelous. You have to read Exodus 13 that tells us why the firstborn of men and cattle should be given unto God because the firstborn were redeemed at the Passover. All the firstborns are in Adam. Adam was the first man. So all Adam's descendants are the firstborns. And all the firstborn should be killed by God, but the children of Israel, they were redeemed by the Passover. So, in other words, they have been purchased. They have been bought with a price. So, they do not belong to themselves. They have to be separate and made holy unto God all the time remember that you are in the first man that you should have been smitten by God yet you have been redeemed by Christ and now you don't belong to yourself that Paul says you have been bowed with a price and now you must separate yourself and let yourself made holy unto God. How to live Christ? To live Christ is to remember this way. Even every time you come to the meeting, you have to remember, Oh, I was just one in Adam. According to God's righteous judgment, I should have been smitten, killed. But I got redeemed through my Passover lamb, that is Christ. And now, I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. He purchased me. Now, I must be separate unto him and made holy for him. Don't forget you are such a person.
1: Francis, Exodus 22, verses 29 and 30 say, You shall not delay to offer the fullness of your harvest, And of the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. In this ordinance, Francis, we see something very meaningful regarding the firstborn, both of man and of their cattle. Francis, this matter of the firstborn was also the subject of a well known story earlier in Exodus the Passover. What's the connection between these two passages?
2: The connection, it seems to me, Chris, is in the word firstborn, because actually all of us came out of Adam, and we could say that we're the firstborn. That was our first birth. We're all acquainted with the term born again. Well, why do we need to be born again? Because we were firstborn in Adam, in a fallen race. But the reference here in this ordinance is that the firstborn of children and of the cattle and of all the things was to be given back to the Lord. How come the firstborn are the ones to be given back? Because the firstborn were the ones that were taken by the judgment of God in Egypt. The only thing that saved them from being judged and being killed by the death angel was the fact that there was redemption. There was blood on the doorpost of the Israelites which saved the firstborn in that house from being taken. So now these firstborn really belong to the Lord. What? Don't you know that you are bought with a price? We have to realize this is God's Word to us. We've been bought with a price. As the firstborn ones now, we are the redeemed ones. We're the saved ones. We're the ones who belong to God, and we should be given back to God. To me, it means that we should belong to the Lord only. We are not our own. We have no right to live our own life the way we choose. We've been given back to the Lord. That's what I see in this. And actually, everything that's redeemed by the blood of Christ belongs to God. Every one of us who've received Him as our Savior and our Lord, we're not our own. We belong to Him, and we should hand ourselves over to Him with a free desire to be His absolutely. Well,
1: Francis, we're going to go on in this coming portion and look at another one of these rich details that really shows us something of our New Testament Savior Christ. Let's rejoin Witness Lee.
0: The sabbatical year and the Sabbath day, the sixth day is not so big, so great, so complete, so full as the seventh year. But the principle is the same. If you read, you could see, To keep the Sabbath day, the issue is not so great as that of keeping the sabbatical year. You read it. To keep the Sabbath day, you may make others to rest. You may make others to be refreshed, just rest and refreshed. But to keep the sabbatical year, You make others to have food. Among so many Christians, maybe some can cause you to rest and cause you to be refreshed. But not many can let you have food. And this means what? This means to keep the sabbatical year is to take Christ. As or rest in its fuller extent. I don't say to its fullest extent. That will be in the future. Right. Then to keep the Sabbath day is to take Christ as or rest just in a very low grade. Not to its fuller extent. In other words, many of us are easy to keep the Sabbath day, to take Christ as a rest in a low grade. But not too many among us do keep the sabbatical year to take Christ as a rest to its fuller extent that we may have some food for the poor ones to feed on. Now, you have to see the progress, how to live Christ, to go on, how to benefit others. It is not only a matter to live in Christ, but also a matter to benefit others in Christ. In other words, to bring some enjoyment to others.
1: Francis, the Sabbath is something that we have covered quite extensively in the past on this program. Of course, we touched it in some depth in the life study of Hebrews, and we touched it again in Isaiah, and we've already covered some aspects of it in Exodus. The Lord gave ordinances pertaining to it in this portion, so we're back to it again. But this is interesting here. We not only have the day of the week designated as a day of rest or a Sabbath, but every seventh year was to be an even fuller day. Sabbath. What does this signify?
2: Well, this seventh year Sabbath is something I think that's new to most of us Christians. It's been there, but I don't think many of us, at least in my acquaintance, have seen this significant matter. Of course, every seven days there was a Sabbath. That meant a time of rest and also meant a time of enjoyment. It meant a time of being able to provide uh, rest for all the ones in our household. But the seventh year being a Sabbath, that indicates a fuller Sabbath than just the once a week. Much more here is not only that we get rest and that we provide something in our rest for others, but the seventh year, even there was to be a rest to the land. And uh, the poor of the land were allowed to come and feast on what was there in the field so that it means that we have a Sabbath rest. This provides food for others. It takes care of the needs of others. I think probably there's not many among God's people that have thought much about, especially those that are literally trying to keep a Sabbath day once a week to rest themselves, have ever thought too much about the feeding of others because of this seventh. It's a much fuller enjoyment of Christ, and it's a much Greater provision for feeding others with the benefits of Christ. So Christ is the center of this Sabbath rest.
1: Since you brought this topic up, let's talk a little bit about New Testament believers that do practice a literal keeping of the Sabbath, the seventh day. And there are many dear brothers and sisters that believe that should be part of the New Testament practice. It would seem to me that this passage would cause a little difficulty then, because I don't think that they're quite so ardent to take each seventh year off, are they, Francis?
2: I've never heard of that. And also, this has an indication in it that to take a seventh year off is really not just for yourself. That's for the feeding and taking care of others, to feed others. So if a Sabbath is for the enjoyment of the Lord and rest in Him, our rest and enjoyment, then certainly every seventh year there should be an overflow of rest and enjoyment that would even feed others taking them into consideration that uh, not only are we having a rest, but our rest and enjoyment and our feeding upon Christ in this way is for the benefit of others.
1: And really the clear message is that we do have a Sabbath rest. It may not be the seventh day of the week literally, but our Savior Christ presents himself as the real and most full Sabbath, doesn't he?
2: We have to realize this is really the key thing on the Sabbath, that Christ himself is the Sabbath he's the reality of all the shadows. And one of the shadows in the Old Testament is the Sabbath rest. That's a type, and it's a shadow, of Christ as our rest and our enjoyment.
1: Francis, let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: Three feasts every year. Now you reach the enjoyment of the triune You reach the enjoyment of the triune God doesn't say it for students, but three feasts, and you consider about the first feast of unleavened bread. This is the continuation of the feast of Passover. Actually, there's two feasts, the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, are one. Who is involved the most in this unleavened bread feast? Christ, even. First Corinthians 5, 7 says, Our pass over Christ Amen. has been sacrificed. And now we keep the feast of unleavened bread. Amen. This is Christ. Yeah. Then the feast of harvest, second feast yearly, is just Pentecost. In the Old Testament type, in the uh, Pentecost, the feast of harvest, it doesn't say the oil, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit, but it says the first fruit. And who is the first fruit? That is the resurrected Christ. This resurrected Christ is actually the life-giving spirit. In the Old Testament type, what is involved in the Pentecost feast? The resurrected Christ. The first fruit. But in the fulfillment of this feast in the New Testament, who is involved? Spirit. spirit. How could you reconcile these two? First Corinthians 1545. Yeah. The last angel, who was resurrected to be the first fruit, became a life-giving spirit. So the second feast is just a feast with the Spirit. Then the third one. The ingathering feast. What is this? I tell you, this is the ultimate issue. Our ultimate consummation of the enjoyment of God. That is the fullness of the Godhead. That is the fullness of the Father. For eternity. And this feast is called the feast of the tabernacle. We all know. The feast of technicalical signifies the time in the new heaven New earth. For eternity, we will enjoy the fullness of the Godhead. Now, you have to realize these three feasts signify the full enjoyment of the triune God in Christ. We have the first feast to have the seed soon. That is Christ. Then we have the second phase to have the harvest. That is the reaping of Christ as the life-giving spirit. And this harvest will last long. This harvest begins from the Pentecostal day through all the 19th centuries. And still, this feast is going on. And then one day, this feast will have a consummation. Right. That's the ingathering. Amen. You know, the ingathering is just a consummation of the harvest. The ingathering is the enjoyment of the fullness of the Godhead. That is the Father. Amen. Firstly, the enjoyment of Christ as the Son. Then, secondly, the enjoyment of God the Spirit. And lastly, consummately, the enjoyment of God the Father. Hallelujah. We are here enjoying Him. Enjoy, enjoy, feast after feast, year after year.
1: Francis, the children of Israel were given three main feasts a year for their enjoyment. By now it's obvious that nearly every item spoken of in books like Exodus has a spiritual implication and significance for us How about these three feasts? What do these typify in our experience and enjoyment of God?
2: Well, overall, these three feasts typify that our whole life is a life of feasting. The Christian life is not a life of doing, not a life of working. Our Christian life is a life of feasting. And what is our feast? Our feast is Christ. That's exemplified in the fact that He is our Passover feast, which is the first day of a longer feast which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that feast means that we enjoy Christ in His sinless life for our whole lifetime. That those seven days, beginning with the first day, which is the Feast of Passover, actually those two are just one feast. Then you have the Feast of Harvest, which means that's the result of our laboring on Christ. And going through experiences of Christ that include not only the wheat and the barley as it mentions in Deuteronomy, but also it means the experiences of the cross of Christ, like the squeezing of the juice from the grapes and from the olives, the juice from the grape causing wine that's for the cheering of God and cheering of man also. And uh, it also indicates the squeezing of the olives to get the olive oil is something that's pleasing to God. And those are really pictures of our experiences of the cross. In these feasts, it's called tears. Tears means something to do with suffering of the cross. But without this kind of suffering of the cross of Christ, we lack a lot of enjoyment of Christ. If we have that, we have the real enjoyment of Christ who was crucified for us and who brings us into experiences in which we ourselves experience the crushing, the pressure that will produce more sweet flows of Christ, not only for ourselves, but for others. Then, of course, there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the topmost feast, that we enjoy all the riches of what Christ is, what He is to us, and also have something over for others.
1: Francis, I appreciate this matter, uh, and I was caught somewhat with your speaking regarding the matter of the oil and the wine coming out of the uh, suffering. Of course, uh, an olive press is just that, is something that presses the olive. Without the pressure applied in the press, the oil just doesn't flow. I believe Watchman Nee wrote a hymn, and I think there's a verse in it that says, Olives that have known no pressure, no oil can provide. That's really the Lord's prescription for us, isn't it?
2: That's right. I remember that hymn also. That whole hymn of quite a few verses is very, very significant. And it really takes us through these experiences.
1: I'd like to thank Francis Ball for joining us once again and invite you back. I'm Chris Wild. Thank you for listening.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs consist of excerpts from Witness Lee's spoken ministry along with our discussion and comments and all focusing on God's heart's desire that we would enjoy Christ as the divine life for man. There are more than 1,700 programs like this one available online free of charge that you can download, stream live, or add to your podcast subscription. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. That's lsmradio.com. You can also reach us by email, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.